Below the Mason Dixon, man, we do it from the dirt. Bring the glory from the mud, find the joy in the hurt. When you work with red clay, you add the passion and the blood. And the sweat and the tears, that compassion and the love. What you get is a stage filled with voices from the south. What you get is a page filled with stories from the south. What you get from the pen is reverie out the mouth. Bottle thump and some stump, what our history really about. For the ground is what we till in darker nights, the brighter days. Being here, still here, and more good work is on the way. The south got something to say. Real. Hey y'all, welcome back to Red Clay Plays Podcast, the podcast that champions Southern Black playwrights and the worlds we create with our words. My name is Nona Noel Marshall and I am your host. And this week we have an interview with playwright Nick Hadikwa Maluko. Last week we shared Nick's play, A Love Letter, and I am still reveling in the beauty of that work and am so pleased to share this interview. This interview, it healed something inside of me, I think, because it reminded me that this Black Southern theater that we're making, that we're uplifting, that there is no separation between that and the Black, the African theater that's happening on the continent that there is no separation and that there is no oppression or anything else that could separate us one from another. Right? Uh, I'm so interested to hear what you get from this conversation. But let me tell you a little bit more about Nick. Trans, queer, non-binary, Tanzanian-American, poet, playwright, fiction essayist, Nick Hadikwa Mwaluko. Plays include 37 S-T-A-R, Marsha P. Johnson, two queer African trilogies, Why Africa and Why Africa 1-2-3, the QT Pac Transmasculine They Them Theirs, TBA, Theater Bay Area, the queer apocalypse, Homeless in the Afterlife, Blueprint for an African Lesbian, she, Shiro, Asymmetrical We, Brotherly Love, Trailer Park Tundra, once a man, always a man. Mama Africa. Queering Macbeth. Life is about the kill. That day God visits you. Atta. Two dyke trans. Gays and many more. Residencies include nationally accredited resident playwright initiative with nationally acclaimed Playwrights Foundation. Resilience and Development Writers Lab with Crowded Fire Theater Company in San Francisco. New York City's Emerging Writers Group at the Public Theater, sponsored by Time Warner, New York City's Groundbreakers Group, Jurassic Artist Residency in Northern California, Freedom Train Productions, Ragged Wing Ensemble, and more. Nick's essay, XXYX Queer Africa, More Invisible, written as a companion piece to Nick's queer POC play, Why Africa 123, is currently in Best American Essays 2020. Nick's other essay was nominated for a Pushcart Award, results currently pending, and fingers crossed. Nick is a 2018 finalist for Africa's Gerald Crack Award, a two-time recipient of the Creativity Fund issued by the Public Theater and Time Warner, and a 2017 spring grantee of a Theater Bay Area Individual Artist Cash Grant. Nick graduated magna cum laude at Columbia University in the city of New York for undergrad and completed an MFA at Columbia University in the city of New York while also a point scholar. The nation's largest LGBTQIA academic scholarship fund and was awarded a Columbia University fellowship at the same time. 
Nick was also at the Iowa Writers Workshop, but dropped out. <laughs> and with that, let's go into this world-moving conversation with Nick Hadikwa Mwaluko. Hey, Nick. How are you today? Oh, it's great to be with you, Monet. It's really great to be with you. Same. I'm really so grateful to be having this conversation with you. And thank you so much for sharing this space and sharing your work with us. Our listeners got to hear it last week, so I am really glad to now be in conversation with you. That sounds great. I'm really excited. Totally excited. So where are we finding you right now, and what is your connection to the South? Uh, Right now, I'm living in California, which is really the Ohlone people's land, and I am in the East Bay. Uh, It's like maybe 30 minutes, 40 minutes from Berkeley by car. And uh, um, my connection to the South is that I'm born uh, a little bit raised in East Africa, Tanzania. And um, so it's that part of the South. And so it's kind of, it's the Eastern part of the, the continent, but it's, um, it we're, you know, it's a similar culture. We're all the same culture, really. And uh, so I feel like that's kind of my connection to it, that our... Um, the music, the cloth, the hair, the politics, the centering of politics, the idea of politics in the world, um, that all art is political, depending upon who you mm. center. Um, and that's a choice. And if anyone says that art isn't political, that might be the biggest political statement of all, because <laughs> it makes so many assumptions. Um, but the South, the, I think it's it's Southern because you're communicating and centering um uh, the view of uh, a world and a spatial imaginary that centers um, uh, Africa, its diaspora, um, its viewpoint, an ontological viewpoint for the most part. Um, and I feel like that is very Southern. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful to hear you name that and name us in relationship to each other in that way. I think as someone who... I grew up on Long Island, but my family on both sides of my lines come back to North Carolina as far back as I can trace. Um, I think I need to hear my siblings from the continent, like, include me in their legacy, in their artistic legacy, and for me to also feel like I can do the same. I just really appreciate you naming us in connection in that way. Oh, I I, I mean... Honestly, I see the connection is there, and I think the 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 embarrass the riches are there. The embarrassment in terms of the embarrassment of riches, but also the, the embarrassment isolated in and of itself is, of course, um, our activity on the continent in terms of the severance. And I feel mm-hmm. like that's a lot of the 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 the, the lack of communication, the separation isolation distance is 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 fueled by that in really it's a shame that we have mm. on our part that we don't want to call it out we don't want to look at it it's very it's kind of people are very sensitive about about it but i i honestly feel like if you don't call it out and you don't look at it it grows it becomes you know that's it's not even a secret but those emotions being kept as secrets they grow but 
the whole idea of community is exactly the same. The centering of the family, the need for the family, the looking at oneself as God, you know, because you're saying this is an extension of what I see as the divine, uh, mm. the understanding of the the agenda to create an illegible world and an illreadable individual within that world by the forces of white supremacy, the institution. I think we have all of that and more in common. And really, it's it's the understanding of, which is so important, I feel like African writers need to... We, we say African writers and we say it in exclusion of what the African-American writers have imported to us. But mm. it shouldn't be that way. Because really, there's, in, in the strictest sense of the word, more, no, there's really few or no African writers who haven't read Baldwin, Toni Morrison, Alice Walker, um, mm -hmm. Octavia Butler, um, Ralph Ellison, all these, because all of that work has influenced our work because, of course, it is centering a dynamic that we understand is going on globally, but also it's also centering not just the resilience, but also another world within that world and therefore another point of view within that mm. world. And we owe so much to those writers, August Wilson. We owe so much to them because they were able to reveal so much um, and center so much that we didn't have. I don't think I would have centered women if I hadn't come across Toni Morrison, Alice Walker's work early in life when I was like in single digits. I wouldn't have because I just, I grew up at it. I'm trans. I was assigned female at birth. I grew up at a time in when I, we were studying African literature in school. Women were not at the center. Mm -hmm. And we were told by our teachers who were women that the other masterworks that didn't have women were central. So, so they were right. even <laughs> teaching their own erasure to us. Right. So, you know, it was kind of, so when I, when these authors, when I came across these authors, I was like, oh my God, not only is this the way that I see the world, but I can actually center it and it can actually get all the way from America to this little library in Kenya. Mm. You know, it was just so powerful. And yeah. they had reorganized an entire world from, and they, they, they affirmed the fact that my view of the world not only could exist, but should exist. And that's what you should write for and about. And I had no idea. I had no idea until, and I don't think I'm alone in that way, but I think right. that the division cutting off the communication in a white supremacist system driven by white supremacy, it, it, that's very important. So that the little queer little girl, not that those writers wrote for queer, but the, the little queer little African girl or boy or whoever, or if they don't believe that they're gender agnostic, but that African who's like, okay, I want a world with, they're actively told you're not allowed to pursue this by the erasure of the history, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's part of the control. When I try to create that invisibility in your identity, I can control you because I can fill it in with what I see. Mm. Right? Which is not, oh. right? <laughs> <laughs> it's all an agenda, right? Oh. Nick, that just 
touches so many things and I, I really feel like so much what we're going to talk about today is related to shame so I definitely want to hold that nugget but I want to uh take a detour and talk a little bit about um Toni Morrison and that and what you said about like centering like oh I didn't even know that I could be centered um and I have to lift up my dear poet friend Sasha Banks who shares the when she was younger, she said she would write things and she felt like there was a, a white man sitting at her kitchen table critiquing all of her work in her mind. And she's like, and then she read Toni Morrison. She's like, and it was like she came into the kitchen, unhinged her jaw, ate that white man, sat down and said, no, you write what you want to write, baby. You know? And I feel like so many authors, but, you know, Toni Morrison definitely is at the top of that list who did that for us. Yes. And I just continue to be so grateful and as a writer, as a playwright, I I hope that, you know, someday someone will hold me in that legacy and that I can do that for them, yes, you know? Yes. Well, you already are. Yeah. You already are. You, you, you already are because you're, you're, you're speaking it into existence. It exists. There's the desire, but those, those great writers, they, that's what they do. They open up an entire world and mm -hmm. they allow you to come into it. Um, on their terms, which is so important. You know, when she, I'll tell you the, the pivotal moment for me was um, when I was reading Alice Walker and Sophia said no to the, to the white woman who wanted her to be the maid because of the kids. Mm -hmm. And Sophia said no. And this was the key difference because we were reading at the time in school, Virginia Woolf and how great she was. And she is a great writer. There's no question in my mind, stream of consciousness is great because we need it in writing. But uh, a Virginia Woolf character would have, uh, if that, that had been an under, someone who was a subordinate or in society, that character would have disappeared or that character would have never been given or would have been gone to a man and the man would have reaffirmed them and had the money to turn things over, whatever. But those emotions in Virginia Woolf were taken in a completely different direction. But in Alice Walker, she was like, for this character telling her truth in mm -hmm. her position in life, she will be punished, broken, beaten by patriarchy, by this, mm -hmm. by that. And that was so, because I said, when my mother's, and my aunties would talk and an African man would enter into the room, something would change. Yep. And I never yep. understood what that thing was, but I knew I could be on two ends of the equation. I could be on my mother's end or I could be the guy who walks in. Mm. Those were the two places that I only, as a kid, I'd, so, and I, and I just thought, my mother would, and those, they would become smaller. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they would be dumber. They were talking about elevated things, politics, points of view. But the minute a male walked in, they were just different. It was just a different, and then if he wanted something, he would behave in a certain way, and she would become bigger. And I just thought, this is so strange. Why this dance? But when, when Alice Walker punished that character for speaking her truth, I said, I've seen this. Mm. I've seen an African woman in her fullness react and she's made invisible. And I, I was so happy that she did that because I said, I think it takes guts to do that and then redeem the character again. But to show there is a price to be paid in this world price. 
for you being you. And are you willing to pay that price? And And Sophia was willing to pay it. Sophia was willing to pay it because she knew when she opened her mouth to say what she said. She didn't know that she would, she might, maybe she didn't know that she would be beaten and her children would be, but she knew there would be a huge price. And she knew that the other side of that was seen. She knew, she knew that I could stay in line and one day speak when I gained the voice, or I could be my full self, suffer the consequences and work my way out of it. But either way, there is a price to be paid in this. And I just thought to myself, only a great writer would go there. And it's not that Virginia Woolf wouldn't go there. It's that Virginia Woolf's alternative for that was not an option for me. And so... And also Virginia Woolf doesn't doesn't have that world inside of her. That's right. And that's what that author, and that's what Toni Morrison and Alice Walker were teaching me, that that those moments don't cut them out. That's part of the world. That's part of your world. That pain, that suffering, that is induced by a world that is centers white supremacy. Show it. Mm-hmm. And now you got to show how do those characters get out of that? And one of it is a meal within community where she can speak the truth and everybody's like, yes, Sophia, yeah, keep going, keep going. Because that is redeeming the voice again. But remember... Mm-hmm. Then she's also saying only this group of people can actually hear you right? and can actually take your truth. Mm. So I just thought that this was just, it was a gift because now I was seeing, my, oh my God, when like out, so I would go out with my queer friends who were wearing really weird stuff and we had weird hairstyles and we were whistling at the wrong gender and whatever. And, <laughs> and I would be like, no, we're not freaks. <laughs> these are the only people who understand I mean it was so liberating it was so freeing it was opening up the world that I was already I mean it was just so I. but I had never had that before I had read those writers I had never Yeah. I, I mean Achebe was a great writer Virginia Woolf a great, I can mention them in the same breath but they didn't give me that they gave me Achebe gave me the centrality of African institutions in the African male. And I didn't need that. I knew that already. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was at the receiving end of that. You're like, I got that one. I got that one. Yeah, thank you. And I know what what, that that kind of control, which equals power in their minds. I, I know that equation already. And so, but I can say that they were great writers, but I, but I can also say that they were not for me. Mm. Yeah. So I really like the way your brain works because your brain works like my brain works. But I want to know so when you think about your own work, who are you writing for? Uh, I think I'm writing for uh, the small parts of myself. I think I'm writing for the parts of myself that bleed and. I think I'm writing for the queer, the transformation of the queer grotesque. Uh, I think I'm, I'm writing for uh, really the, the parts of myself that I think uh, sometimes even have been numbed just to mm. function and to move through the world. And then I want to, I hope to create that transformation. Um, my characters are not in the beginning very big and um but towards the end, they find a kind of knowledge, mm-hmm. sometimes in self, a lot of times uh, were perpetuated by forces. But they, they, it's, these are, um, 
Yeah, I think the parts of myself that really do, they bleed, they are hurt, they whatever. But I believe in the transformation of those uh, parts. So that for me, feeling fully, existing fully, is a, almost a majestic declaration in a queer, trans, Black, you know, African universe. It's, it's yeah. at the moment because of the world in which uh, that we're in. And, but I also think that we import so much into the world. So for my characters to destroy gender, um, they have to go through quite a bit because we live in a world where um, black people are very heavily gendered and at the mm. same time, they can't occupy those genders that wait for them when the moment that they're, even before they're born. Um, because we're not a woman, we're not considered a woman the way the white woman is. We're not considered male the way the uh, white man is. We're not considered non-binary the way the whites are. We're not considered trans the way the whites are. Mm-hmm. We're not considered, so they don't, um, and really the fullest expression of those genders and those roles in, in a black Southern African way, the whites are not able even to read. If you really look at the, let's pretend the first white man who came to Africa and saw a woman, what did he see? He saw a woman who had more than one, one husband who had more than one wife. He saw Mm -hmm. a woman who was a mother to many uh, children who were not biologically hers. He saw a woman who might've been a co-wife with five other women. He saw a mother to children who were... Um, mothered by other women, but she was also a co-mother and was never considered step or co, but just mom. Those women, those children ran to her and said mom the way her, quote unquote, her children ran to her. He saw a woman who was comfortable in her sexuality because she could have sex with the husband who had another woman in the bed. So this is the first white man seeing her. So he must have thought to himself, this is not a woman. If I think of fragility as a woman, if I think of virginity as woman, if I think mm. of pale as woman, if I think of um, thin. thin as woman, if I think of small as woman, if I think of behind the man as woman, if I think of a very policed sexuality as woman, if I think of someone who doesn't have a generous body and takes up space as woman, if I think of fine features and not the generous African features as woman, If I think of a woman who prides herself in the darkness and the cloth, all of these things, it's not what he saw. So he must have seen primitive. He must have not been able to read her and say, okay, I will tame you into what I think a woman is. Mm. And she's never been. And remember, one of her children might be light skinned, another one darker. The boy treated another way. So she's got to be political, too. This one, I'll give this amount of love because the world will give the other amount. This one will be deprived from the world, so I've got to shower on more. So she's political in seeing this is the future this one will have. This one is loyal to me and therefore will fight the co-wife who wants to take up all the resources. So she, all of that, he wouldn't have been able to, to, to understand. So in the category of woman, not to even talk about male, and, but in the category of woman, she couldn't fit. So we're already, in in a very real sense, we are already gender non-conforming from a Eurocentric point of view. Just by, right, already. You say something, I'm not here. Right? 
we really want to be straight and we really want to be like a lot of black folks really want to see themselves in this like straight gender conforming i am i'm a lady i am a man i'm you know like but in order we really want to do that to be legible to whiteness yes it's not freedom it's just legibility no and that's the bluest eye isn't it if you're seen in their gaze you're gonna go crazy you're gonna be psychotic Yes, that is it. It's impossible. It's not possible to be seen in that gaze, and there's no need for it. But if you if you have that need, you will go. Uh, yes, and we should it actually. I've been re- uh, reading um, Garza's uh, book on movements and stuff. We really should embrace that nonconformity because it comes with the violence that white supremacy imposes on the gays, as in you in, you out. Well, what's wrong with me? You Mm -hmm. don't have da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So you kill yourself, which is to get da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then still you're not enough because then they realize, oh my God, I can impose all of this in order for the person to... So I already trapped you. Right. At that because if when I draw that when they draw the circle so small and so tight around who is and who ain't, who is a person, who ain't, who is worthy and who ain't, right. it's like look look all you gave up. Because the, all the rest of the human experience is outside of that. All the glory, all the goodness, like all of that is outside of this tight circle right. that they've drawn. And if you've already given up all of that goodness, all that juicy generosity to be in this tight circle of whiteness, it's like, I can get you to do anything. That's right. That That's the key. That's that's really the key. The key isn't even so much the inclusion, which they say it is, but the key is the control that we get to determine. So I feel like, and this is my next step in writing, is I want to flip the script now. Instead of them naming us, we get we name ourselves if we want to, if we don't want to, but more importantly, we name them. And one of the things I think we should name them is you can be anything you want to be, but you cannot be gender nonconforming. I don't think white people should be allowed that privilege. I feel like the whiteness, you cannot talk about gender without race. And the whiteness erases that experience. Because I'm not stopped by the police because I am non-binary. I'm stopped because I'm black. And my declaration of being non-binary actually puts me in more trouble and closer to violence. And white people, it's not just, oh, I'm white, therefore I'm not stopped. But them being non-binary even makes them untouchable. Like they're Mm. like in this glorious, artistic, creative position where the cops are like, we don't even want to go there anymore. That's how, remember, people would come with Jeffrey Dahmer, right? They would see the lover and the people would call and say, this guy's been pummeled in the streets. And the minute the white guy showed up and said, oh no, that's my gay partner. Even though his skull was had been drilled into, remember, the police said, okay, 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 let me let him go. But if a black man had showed up and said, this is my partner, you know his ass would have been in that. <laughs> he, would have been, he wouldn't have been a serial killer for long. <laughs> right? Okay. Right. I'm just so, I'm saying that they, they, can, they can own their whiteness, but they got it, that gender nonconform. And I feel like politically, that will break open everything in terms of liberation because it will say, now you have claimed that you can't read us, now for real. We're owning that. We're accepting the I can't read you part. 
and let's flip the script so that when they say, oh, Mookie is violent. No, 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 that's not violence. In other, no. Right? In other words, we can do what they do, which is you can't make us accountable because you can't even read us, which is what Ooh. they do. That's what they do with Trump and all of them. You don't know my intentions. You you only have the impact, and therefore you cannot impeach me. Therefore you cannot do this. Therefore you can. Let's flip it on them. I feel like there will be liberation in that for a lot of people Oof. in the school systems and stuff because they'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm not dumb. You just don't understand. I I feel like that that needs. We need to go in that direction now. I I agree. I think there's something. Like what you're saying is just hitting me right. It's just resonating like from my chest. Cause I do feel like there's something around like, particularly at last year's like, I'm not dumb. It's just that like, you're not speaking my language. Mm-hmm. Like actually, like I am multilingual and you don't speak the languages that I speak. And I just think there's just something so real and so true about that. And if people going back to that, like that tightly drawn circle. Yes. When, when people are, full of so many gifts, just so just abundantly gifted. And you're like, oh, but you don't have this one thing. And that one thing is whiteness or legibility to whiteness. Then it's like, we can't even see ourselves. Like we can't even experience the goodness of ourselves and each other because all we then see is dysfunction through the filter of whiteness. Yes. 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 So that we'll turn around and we'll be like, well, why did, why grandma, why are you doing this? Or auntie, why you do this? You're so backwards. Right. You so, you so country. Right. You so geeky. Right. You so black. Right. You know? Right. And it's like, don't you, don't you see all these gifts that I'm giving you? That's right. What they gave you. That's right. That's right. That's what, that's, that, that is the agenda is for you not to see them as gifts. That's that, yeah. and it has always been the agenda. Because you have to remember, coming down from Europe and whatever, they must have been in total shock at what they were seeing. Astro- I think they saw Eden. I think they saw Eden That's and didn't right. know what to do about That's it. That's right, because here is Eden, and we are not just out of the center. We are irrelevant. <laughs> They're not even thinking about us. They're not thinking about us. And when we come here, we get malaria and typhoid. We can't even survive. And here are people who they've got the astro- astrological stuff. They've got astronomy. They've got a system in place. They've got an irrigation system. They've got all these different tribes. So that we're and they're living some in harmony, some in wars. They've got their own mythology. They've got a, they've got different places for this. Even people who are outside of gender, they've got room for that. They've got names for this they've got i mean they must have been and then remember there's no snow there's no this so it's <laughs> they must have been like what the hell <laughs> what the hell and, and if they're living in eden and we're not, we're then not. Who are right so how can we tap all of this mm-hmm. without making by making sure and then i think that we're going to circle back to that whole thing of tourist and alien they must have been surprised because they're like well they're treating us like guests. They're treating us like an incarnation of the divine. So we have access. Mm-hmm. So here's our key. And it, the, contrary to what people say, the people who traveled outside of Europe um, to find other worlds were not noble in right. Europe. They were not. They were not. This, these were not the creme de la creme. These were not the great thing. They were not. 
And generally speaking, most people who are the creme de la creme of their world, they don't go outside their world. They have nothing to look for. They have everything they need. That's right. That's right. So the biggest scam in the world, I think the biggest scammers in the world is the, is the royal family in England. They're the hugest because they're selling something that isn't, and I don't know, you know, I God bless Merkel. I mean, God bless um, uh, the, the actress who married Harry. But... Mm-hmm. You know, she she's she's going to be a because that child is black and they're saying none of your family can be. I mean, what are they? I don't know what's going to happen. But and I don't know what he can give her. Really, really. It's honestly, you know what I mean? I'm looking at the situation and saying, you better bring your mother and your grandma in quick. Right. And auntie, you better bring them quick. I don't care. Bring them to Canada, bring them wherever. But that child, you know, if you want that child to have any anchor. You better be, be, but my, so my, yes, they must have been in complete and total and they constantly are, are. Yeah. Yeah. It's here too in America. It's just that the problem is the lens that is being used to, I've met many geniuses in the ghetto, many, more than I can count people who can make sense and put things together. And you're like, Oh my God. Yep. But of yep. but of course they've been stripped because the brilliance doesn't go with the zip code in America and that means annihilation of that child or the man or the woman, whoever, whatever, non-binary. But th- that means the annihilation. Imagine if Garza, who started Black Lives Matter, was given all the resources at the beginning that maybe a Zuckerberg was given. Right. Mm-hmm. Or what world existing in. That's right. Imagine if Stacey Abrahams at the beginning was given all the resources that a Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs was given. His first loan was in the millions. Imagine what she could have done politically. That they know. See, that they know. And that's why they ice, they ice, they ice, they cut off they confuse, create doubt, whatever, because they know if she can do that with what she has, what if we give the world to her feet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They know. They know. And I think I'll talk about like imports or like cultural imports. And I think one of those cultural imports then in that experiment, in that, in that shifting is shame. Yes. I have to import, I have to download shame into you and I have to feed it to you at every, every chance I get. Yes. And the more you are a gender empty or gem, gender expansive person, non-binary, trans, like we got to give you more shame. You black, got to give you more shame. You femme, got to give you more shame. You, you queer, we got to give you more shame. You're poor, you know, like just, we got to just download all of this shame yes. into you so that you don't realize that you're the glory. Yes, you have to. They have to download the shame so that um, you can make your. They, you're internalizing the ability to make yourself small, invisible, erased, irrelevant, etc., decentered, etc., so that they don't have to do it. Is if you show up for the job and you say, "But I don't really deserve this," even though you have more than it, then they've done the. You've done the work for them. Now they can put in John Smith because you've actually erased yourself. So, and you've created the fact that being trans makes you actually less worthy as opposed to saying, no, I can actually explode all these boxes. And I see the lie 
that there are only two genders and woman equals pink or boy equals blue. And I see all through all of that. They don't want that disruption. They don't want that because not because they don't believe it, but because that means at the end of their control and the beginning of the obviousness of their irrelevance is going to come into so the superiority complex, which is what white supremacy is built upon, it will be dismantled in a in a in a sentence. They don't want that. Mm. So if you're doing it for yourself and for all the body parts that you have, shaming them and you know creating these compartments, not looking at the full flow, they are happy, very happy. So yeah, they're very mm. happy if you do it yourself, which is just, it's just it's the internalization of it. But remember, for them, control, which is an illusion is power. Right. Yeah. And their lack of relevance is a real, somebody should, a writer should, you know, who wants to spend time with white characters for a long time, they should look into, well, what is the anxiety around white people and relevance? Because it's a big anxiety. When a white man is taken away from being relevant, he becomes vicious. It's like a, a like a like a, a cat when you steal a, the kitten from a mother cat. Vicious, vicious kind of response. Uh, so we got to look into what happened because it's in their DNA in a way that it's not in in ours. And so there has to be some sort. Maybe the first African woman who had an albino and she was told by the community this is some sort of curse, take it away, and they took it to you all. It, went from maybe to North Africa, then to Europe, and the child felt separation, anxiety from the child. I don't know what the story is behind it, but there's a big anxiety around white people and irrelevance hmm. that I, I don't see in other cultures. Yeah. Well, I want to pivot a little bit and talk about, like, one of the ways that we deal with that internalized oppression is through the loving of ourselves and each other, right? And I think that in your piece, A Love Letter to My Gay Black Beloved, Andre Alexander Lancaster, you do so much of that work and you do it so pointedly to Andre, but I really feel like it is a a message to so many of us. So I want to dig in a little bit about this piece and yeah, just where would you like to start with it? Well, Andre was uh, um, a... Uh, a theater revolutionary and just a very loving and giving person, human being, who uh, was born in Texas, raised there for a while, came to the East Coast, we met, and he was starting his theater company, which he called Freedom Train Productions. And we were the first, we were the inaugural group, and it was a whole group of Black queers. Um mm-hmm. And he said, "We're gonna." First of all, he said, "We're gonna pay you for doing a commissioned work, and you only have to read um, ten pages of the play. And we might produce the play. We might not be able to produce the play, but we want to give you a platform and support." I'd never heard of that. Then he said, "We're gonna be meeting every two or three weeks, and I'll have a space for you, and we'll just we can read the work as well. But we also want to gather and get together and and commune." I'd never heard of that. He also said that. Um, I have other outlets um, that will be able to promote your work and promote Freedom Trend Productions, but they were essentially Black queer outlets and platforms. Never heard of that. So he was almost transporting us into a capsule that where it was like, there's so much community for us out there, and we've got to always be in conversation with one another. So he was basically taking 
a model where we were involved with um, uh, essentially white white theaters and white groups and saying, well, let me take that model and transport it into a black queer environment and queer it up and black it up and make it all what it is. And that fast forward a couple of years later when people were then taking his model because it had a, a lot of success. Mm-hmm. And they were using it, white creatives, uh, in quotes, were using it for their own organizations and their benefit and saying, okay, we'll isolate a couple of you and we'll bring you in here. Um, and we have more resources in this. And so basically stripping him. Um, he became, by, to engineering, um, invisible. People weren't talking about him anymore. And then all of a sudden on Facebook, I found out he had passed away, but that he had had a very long struggle um, with addiction and was HIV positive and basically had internalized his the self-destruction that was being cast upon him. This lovely, beautiful human being. I mean, just, he would giggle like a child and he would he, he just, it was, you know, those people who just, their love is perfect. Mm, and, yeah. And you, you're, you're, you want to drink it in because it's so beautiful for you. But at the same time, you're so scared because you're like, I know New York. I know how vicious it is. And you may not be able to survive it. Like it was th- those dual feelings. Um, I'm, I'm pursuing a, a career in, in writing and one of the things that I'm being taught is you've got to be vicious to, to make it. And I believe it and all of that stupid stuff. And I was not a good friend, which mm-hmm. is, I think, one of the biggest sins you can you can say. Because it is a choice. You can be a good friend. It doesn't take, it doesn't take resources to be a good friend. It takes a, a great heart, a good heart, mm-hmm. a pure heart, a loving heart. I was not a good friend to a friend who was a great friend to me. Because I think for a writer, for somebody to say, I support your work is the greatest thing. And really do it, you know, actively do it. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. For an artist to be told, you know, like an actor who's struggling to say, you know what, if, if you read this part for me on this platform, it'll give them that extra boost of somebody's watching me. And I'm, you know what I mean? You Maybe yeah. they're not even great at the part, but you just want to support them because you're saying they're putting it all. That's the kind of person he was, is even, because his energy. In other words, he was gifting everybody with a future. Yeah. Everybody who came into contact with him. And here, his future, in some sense, had been stripped from him. We weren't coming back to rescue him. We had stepped on his back, like most, most, you know, the queer relevance thing comes in, where you're stepping on the backs of the most vulnerable in order to rise on their shoulders. So, and they're sinking deep, right, while you're standing tall. It's sick. <clears throat> I was part of that. Um, I'm ashamed to say it, but I was. And when I found out that he had passed, these, this well of emotion came. At the same time, I was writing another piece called Silence is a Sound and presenting it during a workshop. And a, a woman said to me, you're re-traumatizing your community. And I thought, this is crazy to say this. Um, but so that only fueled me wanting to write a love letter to Andre even more. I'd started off and I was like, ah, well, you know. But that fueled it even more because I said, 
the last thing I'm doing is re-traumatizing my community. I just, I'm loving my community and love comes in different ways. But so that was the, that really, those two forces come in, three forces, his death, his, his life and its mission, his death, and it's almost, it was like a, an atomic bomb had exploded on the internet. Mm. Him, him passing in the way that he did, and then you know, talking to people who had, we had everybody had failed him. Mm. So I was talking to people who had, you know, I could have housed him when he was doing his rehab, and I didn't because my partner said she didn't want a third person in. And yet, when I was doing my rehab, he housed me, and he, you know, so it was people like that. Was and I was like, well, what did? And so we were all in the same state. Um, and then in the fu- the funeral, of course, the first funeral is the parents are trying to, for again shame, self preservation. They're trying to create a funeral of a life that didn't exist. You know, he was my son, and of course, yes, he was. But no gay, no queer support, no biography of that, no pronouns that he actually used, no discussion of the HIV, no discussion of his ability to live this long with HIV, no discussion of the of the drugs and no discussion of the resilience, no discussion therefore of the struggle, no discussion of therefore how hard it is, no discussion, no discussion of how he met that with grace, no discussion of how he was he looked at other people with so much optimism despite what they were doing to him and what had been done. Nothing, none of, so we had to have a different memorial that told the full truth with a queer black lens. And so then in the memorial, they were saying, okay, come online and read, you know, what you've written. And I was gonna read, but I broke up, I broke, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I broke, I literally was broken. For me to bend, I have to break, I'm one of those. So I was so, I was broken into little pieces that I could not pick up because it was just so, it was too much. I couldn't send them off. Um, so I just decided, okay, let me write the piece. And then um, one day it'll have a place. And I said, because it's so filled with so much love for him. And I wanted him to have a world that honored him in the way that he wasn't honored. And I thought in the queer afterlife with the ancestors, he would be in his majestic glory and he would meet other queer creatives like um, James Baldwin, Lorraine Hansberry, Whitney Houston, um, all these people would be there for him, celebrating him, celebrating his gifts and his talents and gracing his theater group. Um, and they wouldn't have a body anymore, so they wouldn't have to be judged by white supremacy and just mm. this alternative universe for him where all his glory could manifest itself unchecked by the forces that were always trying to cut him down, you know? And I wanted that for him. And I believe that that's where he is, directing his, because we did his pieces in the memorial, his plays. But I bet you he's directing his plays and directing other people's plays and and listening to Whitney's music and her voice is even more amplified now. And Mandela is there as well because he was an ally. And just, you know, and Baldwin writing pieces for the stage that are Black and queer now and, you know, that's what I want for him. And I, I know he's there and, and I believe he's there. And um, I wanted a piece to, to, to be honest with you, I wanted a piece that would, would put, put him 
that would where he would never die. That's mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. I was hoping to write yeah for him. Yeah. And love love doesn't die, love conquers also. Hopefully that that's what will happen with the peace in the future. It won't die. You know? I think that is part of why when I read the piece, I knew I wanted it to be part of this podcast because I think you know, I never had the, the blessing of knowing Andre, and yet I felt like I knew him in this work. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you, but I'm in your lineage. Like, as a Black queer person, just trying to put out art and lift up folks, like, there are so many folks whose names I will never know who I'm in their lineage. So it just felt like such a gift to have Andre's name as part of that um, through your lens. And... I want to talk a little bit about like how you, like you talked about how you felt like you were not a good friend and the feelings that come up and how you alchemize those in order to create this piece and also how you feel like that shows up in your other work. Um, okay. Can I, I'll, okay, can I ask the, answer the last question first? Yeah. Um, in, in the other work, uh, I think I'm a better friend to the, especially to the characters. Mm. Um, so, but now I'll go back. Um, the the longing to be uh, what I want from a friendship with someone like Andre is that wish is I think the door that can open up because <clears throat> wish fulfillment is in another spatial imaginary than reality. So you don't draw of Whitney. You, we don't know where Whitney is but we know where we want her to be in relation to Andre. So she can be there in relation. Mm. We don't know where Baldwin is, but we know where we want. So that's the great thing about the uh, the conditional tense and wishful thinking in drama is you can open up absolutely any door. And what is art? Art is where the imagination meets the unknown. Mm. So (laughs) we can create that unknown. Death is a great unknown. What's on the other side of death? We really don't know. People say they know. They say my brain stopped it. I don't know. Um, and this is what I remember, or this is, and based on your belief system as well. So, but I wanted him, I just looked at it and I said, in this world, you're considered black. In this world, you're considered male. In this world, you're considered gay. In this world, you're considered this and that for the, those reasons. In this world, you're considered HIV positive and addict, whatever, whatever. If I took all of that away, and I just looked at you. And then if I put all of that there and I just looked at you, what would come of it? And if I put you in a place where those things are actually glorified, what would happen to you? So those are the three kind of like stages of the piece. I have you with those ways in this world and the mission. I have you what happened to you when the world descended upon you with those, that criteria, black, gay, queer, um, um, and then I have you in a world where, yes, you are those, that's all taken away. You don't have a body, whatever. And then I have you in a world where that's celebrated in that same exact space. Because you are Black, you're queer, you're creative, and you experience those things. You get to meet Whitney. You get to meet James. You get to meet Mandela because mm-hmm. of those things. So I wanted him to be celebrated on, on the, but it's just constantly recurring and reimagining those things. It's a wish fulfillment for him. Um, and in that way, I wanted to be the friend that I met. Of course, it's, it, it, some people might say, well, it's easy to do that now that he's dead. Right? It was harder to go to 
where he was and go to the closet and pull him out. And yes, it was. It was harder. It was harder in that sense, too. Because also, you are, as the piece says, you're also meeting your own mortality for those things. Remember, part of the shame is silencing, is self-silencing, self-erasure, self-invisibility, self-propelled annihilation in a dead white culture that wants you to die to those things. So that's part of the confrontation when you see that in another Black queer, you're kind of like, this could be my future. What can I do to stop it? And one of the things you can do to stop it is to be numb to it. It's not a great thing, but it does happen. And what that does is it destroys your relationships. But at the same time, oh, how glorious it is when you can afford to feel. Mm. You know, it's a supernatural thing when a black queer can feel another black queer, which is why in the piece there is that moment where you can touch each other because it's so electric because you know what it takes. It takes so much for two black queers. Black love in and of itself is under siege, which is why I love that Oprah puts it on, on a platform. But black queer love... Oof. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's apocalyptic. So, <laughs> okay. So I do, I did want to imagine that. Now in Africa, where there is black queer love, in Africa, it's also in a black uh, spatial imaginary. It's also different. But it, uh, again, when it explodes, it explodes to create another imaginary where the characters can then, um, and they do, transform the entire world. But Unlike the stories uh, where they have to go away from their community in Africa, they remain within the community and they deal with essentially their oppressors uh, based on who had oppressed them for being queer. Now they are um, not necessarily masters of a queer universe where their oppressors live, but they are open to them coexisting with them because they do. Whether I like it or not, my transphobic parents live. And I have to honor them because they're my parents in, mm-hmm. in my culture. But I have to also remember that they are transphobic. And in a sense, they have internalized white supremacy and therefore are executing an oppression upon me. But my, my response is not kill my parents or move away from my parents or dishonor my parents. My response is, shit, this hurts. Mm. How are the many ways in which I deal with this thing Some of it is numbing, some of it is confrontational, some of it is crying, some of it is weeping, some of it is not being able to get out of bed, some of it is having the difficult conversations, some of it is celebrating the infinitesimal moves that they do, literally, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, okay, they they said my rightful pronoun and then they slipped again because they self-corrected quickly, you know, that kind of, but oh my God, they did it, you know, and it's like, but it's some of, and that's all part of life, the perversion and but, but I think, so Wafrika does it differently. But in Wafrika, the partnership is, um, without Bobby, the, by, essentially, the Irish African-American character, Owino cannot move further and further. Bobby is an essential in, in, ingredient to the, to the mm-hmm. relationship and the journey of that character. Um, and they are, I think they're good friends and they are um, an explosive partnership at a very, very dangerous time for that couple. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then, but they go, they get through it and they explode the, the world. Really, when Owino comes out of the female circumcision and is male, or even more, I shouldn't say male, even more trans and more gender non-conforming from the female circumcision, they have explored, that's the beginning of the, you can have my body, but you can't have my soul, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I feel like that is such a common theme of Black work across the diaspora, that like, you know, in, in like the Black Southern church tradition, it's like, I, I got a joy that the world can't take, like the world didn't give it so the world can't take it away. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm like, I'm going on. Like this this house is just a building. Then there's a leak in this old building and my soul has got to move. And this idea that like this vessel, this body is temporary, but my soul, like you can't, you can't do nothing to my soul. Mm-hmm. You can't touch my soul. And I think... I just continue to be grateful for the ways that I feel us echoing or like echolocating across the planet to each other through our music, through our writing, through our plays, through our dances, through our looks and our like <laughs> sucking of teeth and rolling of eyes. Like I just continue, continue to be grateful mm-hmm. for the ways that we are reminding each other and ourselves. And also that like the ways that the, <laughs> Celebrating those those tiny fractional like moves forward, right? Yes, yeah. Yes, it 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 is. It's a joy uh, because I think once you I think if you find that place, which I I think Andre gave to us, mm-hmm. and really maybe it was because he couldn't. I'm not really that sure, but I think he gave it to us. Um, and I think that when you find that place that is almost, it transcends. In the beginning, you know, when you come, when I came fresh off the boat, I was like, well, why would you not have a, you know, a 24, uh, uh, you know, five, nine to five, this, this, this. Why would you not want the picket house and there, whatever, whatever. I would look at people who didn't want that and be very, very suspicious almost because that's how I was raised. I was raised that that's supposed to be, but as you, as you, I guess, evolve in your queerness and you evolve in your blackness, you realize, like, and the two can almost be, sometimes they're interchangeable, right? But, mm-hmm. right, so, but once you, as you evolve, you're like, oh, okay, so this, this, this divine thing that's been given to you and the, the vision that comes with it um, can actually strip away that superiority and merit-based system of Christianity you know, where Christian, where you tick all these little boxes to be a good, you know, all of that. And self-loathing is part of the, is a very big part of the agenda for you to tick those boxes. So make sure that you're not enough unless you get the house or get this. Once you strip away from all of those things and you look really, it's really very wonderful what you can give yourself and what, and what you can do and how creative and for lack of a better word, diverse Humanity is not just it not just is is meant to be. That's really the design of it all, right? You right. know, and so and that's what I think. I Andre was was reminding us because it was I was Tanzanian American. There was a Nigerian American. There was Jamaican American, African American. We were all in the room, and Andre was like, it, he was so intentional in creating that group in that way because he's like. 
listen, there's a shared experience here where everybody's coming from their desperate parts. And when we come together, we're going to realize that not only is there diversity within diversity, within that diversity, within diversity, there is also <laughs> this amazing community and shared space. And it isn't only just a reaction to white supremacist patriarchy. Oh, say that. Right? It's its own. It has its it own. On its own. Yeah, on its own. And there's a power to that. And we were not afraid of the diversity within the diversity. Of course, now that's really been our existence. I have a very light-skinned sister who does very well. And then my dark-skinned sister, who is her twin, is not as... And so I've lived with that. So we've all lived with... But my point is that... Um, and we were also not afraid of how we talk, the argument, the this, the straight talk, the this, keeping it real. It was, it, that's what it was all, it was all about that. It was all about that. It was all about, this is who you are. Don't be afraid. You've been told that this is wrong. This is, you know, that you're an alien and born in our, no, 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 no. You are very readable, very legible to each other. And, you know, and, and so... Um, and also just going back to the friendship thing, um, question was, um, in Africa also, I wanted, I wanted to mention also, is that they are, uh, different. Or Bobby is considered by most people reading the play, the best ally. Um, <coughs> but there are other allies. Mama Opio is also an ally and she comes in after the circumcision because Bobby is, that's a place where Bobby is not as familiar with female right. circumcision. Um, and then the, the, her, Owino's father, I shouldn't say her, their, um, their father is also an ally. And in a sense, the community is an ally. The ancestors are now different degrees of allyship, which is true also with the diversity within diversity. Some people are really strong allies, you know? Maybe I'm a better ally to Andre now. Hmm. You know, and maybe, you know, as, as pathetic as that rationalization might sound, maybe that's it. And maybe that, you know, that's an awakening of if you can do it for a friend now, do it now. Right. You know, and it had to be that I had to learn it that way. And in the end, at the end of the day, I don't remember all the places that post Andre took me. I remember or even during Andre's residency in, in its true sense, I remember the energy, the mission, the vision, the love, the future that he gifted me with. Not the chair that we sat in and the room that we were in, no. You know, and maybe that's what it's, you know, I, that I had to be, because it's easy to forget, you know, what it means to be an African uh, here, you know, as much as I get to it's the texture of the love that we remember. It's the texture of the moment and the space. And I think that's also true of good theater and good art, you know, that it's like, oh, I may not have all the details, but I know what it did inside of me. Yeah. I know how it transformed me. I know how it changed me. I know how reading that line like hit and, and, and created these images in my mind, you know? And I think that's love. Yes. That's love too. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. I just want to know, speaking of legibility, like who are the black, queer, trans playwrights that you're reading, that you're loving? Um, yeah. Um, queer, trans, 
uh, I'm, I've read uh, the 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 queer. I don't know if he would expect. Maybe he might say gay, but uh, Terrell's work. I've seen Terrell Alvin McCrane's work mm-hmm. is the work that I've seen most. Um, um, I don't. Um, I I I kind of think of. She's a theorist. She's not a playwright though, but. I kind of think of Claudia Rankin's work as queer because mm, I agree. She, right? A little bit more because she's willing to introduce emotional states of mind that I think were shameful in a previous gen the previous generation of black writer was not allowed to allow their characters to get so depressed they were paralyzed. But she allows room for this. Um not that they stay paralyzed, but that they, you know, that they, them not getting out of bed is not the end of the world. Actually, them not saying that they couldn't get out of bed is the end of the world. Um, so I, I kind of, I appreciate her a lot. Um, who else am I? I'm not really, I'm not being a good. Oh, okay. So I'll put this guy on. Jiri Osman, he wrote Fairy Tales for Lost Children. I'm starting to read that. He's a gay Somali writer. Um, and he's, he, but fiction, um, I don't, uh, who do I, um, I think Lisa Evans is, she's, oh, oh sorry, it's non-binary trans, they, them, with, uh, and femme, uh, in the Bay Area, they are doing work that's very, uh, queer and trans, and I believe femme-centric, they are, um, also a director, Mm-hmm. Um, I'm familiar with Lisa's work. You should hear you with Lisa. Okay. So Lisa, mm-hmm. um, who else is, um, uh, oh, and uh, but I've not seen the work, but I've heard great things about it. Is Lady Dane Figueroa. I've not seen the work, though. I mean, live. I've seen little snippets on YouTube, but I've heard wonderful things about her work. Um, I think those are the people, um, whose work is, uh, expo, um, Kay Barrett is a disabled trans queer writer, poet though, Filipino, I think Filipino American who, um, has transformative, um, who else is? Oh gosh. Why, why am I forgetting these people? I will, um, Adam E. Is a gay Egyptian American playwright. Um, Elong Liu or Lu is Chinese and gay, Chinese American gay. Um, Harrison Rivers is a gay African American. His his style. Uh, we went to grad school together. His style is very uh, at the time during grad school, but I don't know because I've not seen recent because of pe- the pandemic as well. Um, but his, it was very similar, not the same, but similar to Susan Roy Parks. I don't know if his style is still the same, but it was Mm -hmm. very poetic, very lyrical as well. Uh, beautiful style. Um, well, you, that's such a list. Yeah. Okay. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) can I give a shout out to an African American, to, to, uh, people of color who are not queer to my knowledge, but are. Yes. Please do. Um, Starfinch and Denmo Ibrahim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. So, you know, I'm going to ask you to like 
send any links so that we can add them in the caption so our listeners can find out more about some of these folks. Totally. So I'm say that now. I would love to do it, and I, it would be a complete honor. Mm-hmm. Fatima Aman is another one from Pakistan. Uh, mm-hmm. lesbian yeah so Nick in our, in our final moments together what advice would you give to black playwrights uh, oh, um, when I was writing in the beginning I did not have a theater company theater group uh, any attention nothing I loved the art form I love writing um, and I was writing true to the heart and there were moments when I did not believe while I would be alive that I would have any space or occupy any space. But more importantly, not me, but my characters or in the stories. In the space of maybe the last three or four years, the world has exploded. So my advice to them would be believe, keep at it, um, Go the extent, don't bend it, don't water it down, don't try to make it logical, don't edit your soul, don't don't follow that intense obsession mercilessly. Live side by side with your wish as a fulfillment. Imagine the most and dream of the most explosive things like Joseph in the Bible. Just go all the way. Do not stop. And yes, it will cost you everything. It may cost you your apartment, it may cost you your home, it may cost you your partnerships, it may cost you your mind. But if you have to do it, do it all the way. That's what I would say, because if you do it all, there's no such thing as a, in my native tongue, Swahili, there's no such thing as half believe or a quarter belief. You either believe or you don't believe. You either have faith or you don't have faith all the way and the fruits will be there at the very end because if you cheat it will show if you if you're uh, uh it, it will show it will show somebody will come and take that story and go all the way which is all this is all that shakespeare did he took those old myths and he went all the way and 400 years later we know his name and that's really not the point. The point is that he went all the way. The point is that he believed in a way that, that had never been believed upon in the medium at that time. And that's what you've got to do. You've got to, you've got to believe. You've got to believe fully. The pieces will come. The people who are supportive will definitely come. Actually, as the, as the writing rises, so does the personnel that is around it. Mm-hmm. So that's how you got to whatever. But, um, and it does, at times, it, I, I don't know anybody where it didn't cost them everything. But that is, that's that's the price of, um, don't um, worry about the critics. They're about five or six years behind. Don't worry about what they say. Don't worry about... Um, don't, uh, rage and anger are not negative emotions necessarily. Jealousy is not, in terms of career, is not necessarily a negative emotion, but do not, um, because they give you an indication of how passionate you are about the thing, but do not then go about destroying other people's work, not amplifying other people, that kind of thing. And But at the same time, also recognize that rage is a secondary emotion to painful emotions and stuff like that. 
Um, and just, just go, yeah, go over and don't make excuses. I don't have a desk. I don't have a home. I don't have this. I don't have that. Those are excuses. Many people have done. August Wilson is a great example of someone who did not have an MFA. And look, many people have done more with less. Men, and they can't, and they will. I'm not saying I wish that upon you, but if those are your circumstances, those are your circumstances. Your circumstances are not your identity. Your identity is your relationship to courage. Do you have the courage to keep going, to endure, to do your best despite your circumstances? That shows what you're made of. That is a reflection of your will. Someone is always, another piece of advice, someone is always looking at you who you don't know, who's in a position to greatly reward you. There is that person out there. They will see, I can't tell you, in the last two or three years, the most, and by the way, usually it's somebody who you, you would be shocked. I'm shocked at the people who say to me, two or three white men have come to me in the last couple of years and said, when you're done with this piece, we want to put it in film to take it to KQED. And yes, at the end of that, there will be a sizable check with them. At the time I was writing, I didn't think a white man would know. That would be the last thing on my mind. But there they are. So it's my point is not that that thing came. My point is that if you stop, those things don't come. You're not the, the, uh, you're not the uh, collection of your worst moments as a writer. So um, you might be on unemployment. You might be homeless. You might not have your parental support. These are things that you can use in the writing. And actually, they are better things, particularly in theater, for you to write. Because what it does is you can tell the difference between, I hate to create examples, but August Wilson's characters have lived they're the characters that say, you can't give me a check because I can't go to the bank and cash a check. They never believe a black man has, you know, got the check illegitimately. That's a lived experience. That's, that's something that somebody has been through that they've given to the characters that create mm. a That's what it's about. Mm -hmm. So it feels awful at the time if that has happened to you that I went into the check cashing and they wouldn't accept, even though I had the idea, whatever. But it can be used in the drama. And now the outcome can be, not that the clerk said no, but wow, how was this person able to convince that clerk to say yes? And now the character is not just redeemed, but they have another quality in them that they didn't have at the beginning. Now they are in, now they have a creativity. Now they're able to read things politically. Now they're able to manipulate circumstances to their advantage. Now that's a small thing that you can take to a, a bigger obstacle, have them transcend, and it creates a bigger, bigger, bigger character. So they're not, you're not just the tragedy of your moment. And it is useful for you to go there. But, and finally, I will say that the things that make you ugly and a freak in this world are the things that are absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and glorious about you. Because those are the gateways to a different world. And Lord mm -hmm. God, do we need a different world for black folk, a liberating world. And those are the keys. 
that gayness that used to be my prison sentence in Africa became on the page in Africa, the liberating force. I was mm -hmm. able to see the difference between woman and lesbian. I was able to see the difference between a married woman and a single woman. I was able to see the difference between a liberating sexuality and I was able therefore to write about it side by side because I had been and had sex as a lesbian with a married woman and with a single woman and with a lesbian, an African lesbian. And they were very different in their body types, not just body types, in their liberation of the body. I was able to use these experiences. It was a gateway into a world. And so, and yet at the same time, that world, when I stepped away from that bedroom or when I stepped away from those conversations or I stepped away from those people, the world told me that made me a freak and ugly and not African. And that's so, those two worlds were coexisting. So that part of yourself that you think is, go, is going to cause your annihilation, that's actually the part that is the door. And it's very important that you nurture it as an artist because it will liberate a whole group of people if you learn how to write about it in a way that is able to liberate a whole group of people. If you write about it in a way that is not able to liberate, in other words, if you're unable to transform the pain into purpose, you've got that's the work you got to do. Because the only reason why you're existing now at this time in the world is because you were able to transform it from pain into pain. Otherwise, you wouldn't have survived. You would have caved in. You wouldn't mm -hmm. be writing. <laughs> right? You wouldn't be writing. So don't, this, I mean, I'm not saying don't listen. Of course, you have to listen to it. You listen to the world, but you listen as an artist. And the function of a great artist is to open up another world that is both there and invisible. It is where the unknown meets the imagination. So it's there, but it's also invisible. Mm. It's invisible, and the audience will drink it. You'll have you'll have a great deal. I mean, don't measure success according to um, according to um, <coughs> what you gain monetarily, what you gain in terms of awards, the citation, the critics, this that. You have to have your own measure of it. You have to have your own measure. You have to revise that measure on a on a on a on a regular basis, as well as revise your mission statement for your work on a regular basis. You gotta keep in tune with the vision because it's changing as you're growing and evolving, and that's okay. That's okay. That actually, that's the way it should be. But yes, it will cost you. Um, um, everything but but in a way if you want to do meaningful work it should mm -hmm. mm. that'll preach <laughs> i preached a lot man. that'll preach i see the little uh, squiggly lines on the screen i see like nick you went on <laughs> with your squiggly ah <laughs> uh, that's so good i need to hear that today so thank you thank you thank you so Nick, where can where would you like to be found on the internet? Where can folks um, learn more about you and your work, and where it's being presented, and what you got going on? Um, the word I have like a list of plays, but the, the downloading of the script isn't. But the list of the plays are on New Play Exchange. I have a play, uh, uh, C 
something with the Playwrights Foundation as well in San Francisco. They have a page for all of us resident playwrights and should be a part of it. Um, and then uh, just contact me at um, 254 N for Nancy, R for Robert, B for Boy, I for Ice Cream at gmail.com and you know about scripts and stuff. And um, um, also email me there if you want to help with funds. Yes, yeah. <laughs> We always need funds. We always need funds. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make sure that we link all of that in the caption so you all can find it. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Monet, it's been a pleasure. It's just been a pleasure. So, y'all, until next time, love you. Ooh, y'all. I hope that you really sit with that conversation and chew on it because there's so much meat on that bone (sighs) one of the things that I am dreaming after that conversation is ways to connect southern black theater with the theater that's happening on the continent for us to find the similarities and the differences and produce work and learn more about each other learn how we are still the same through theater are you dreaming that with me (laughs) let me know Again, I want to say thank you to Nick Hadikwa Maluko for their time. And I want to thank our sound engineer, Only Us Media. I want to thank the Sound of Hanu for creating our theme song with production by Scott Warren. And I want to thank our funders, the Black Seed Grant, Man Bites Dog Theater, Cypress Fund, Triangle Community Foundation, United Arts Council, and folks, and our fam like you. Join us. Come along on this ride of championing Southern Black playwrights by following us on Facebook and finding us on Instagram. All those links are down in the description box and visiting our website, www.mojoa.org. That's M-O-J-O-A-A. There you can learn more about us as a company. You can submit work if you are a Black Southern playwright or a Black trans playwright living anywhere. (laughs) And... Also, if you're like, oh, y'all, this is dope. I like what you're doing over there, Mojoa. You can drop something on that donations. Um, and every little bit counts. It really does. It all adds up. So thank y'all so much, so, so, so much for being a part of this season. We only have one more play. I know. Ugh. And we can't wait to share it with you next week. Until then. Stay sweet. Below the Mason Dixon, man, we do it from the dirt. Uh-huh. Bring the glory from the mud, find the joy in the hurt. Yeah. When you work with red clay, you add the passion and the blood right. and the sweat and the tears, that compassion and the love. Uh-huh. What you get is a stage filled with voices from the South. Uh-huh. What you get is a page filled with stories from the South. Sure. What you get from the pen is reverie out the mouth, That's bottle right. thump and some stump. What our history really about. For the ground is what we till in darker nights to brighter days. Been here, still here, and more good work is on the way. Yeah. The South got something to say. Real.